This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Miles Welch delivers this teaching entitled Four Leadership Principles. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses. How are you all doing today? Right. Now today I want to talk to you as leaders. I want to pick up on a theme that we covered about a year ago in the David Leaders Build Better Lives series where all of us kind of embraced our spiritual identity as leaders that God uses to build better lives. And today we're going to unpack four leadership principles from one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Old Testament King Uzziah. And I'm looking forward to that. But before we do, I, I want to deliver a, a, a quick refresher of some of the truths that we covered uh, during the David series. Because I know that it's been a year. And I know as soon as we start talking about leadership, some of us have a tendency to say to ourselves that that's not really for me that I'm not really a leader, I'm not the boss of anything, I'm not the CEO, I don't really have a title or position of leadership. But if you remember in the David series, we kind of expanded our definition of what it means to be a leader. That leadership isn't just for the few who have a position of influence, that leadership is for those in a position to influence. And that's all of us, because all of us have influence. Think about it this way. In every relationship that you're in, whether it's friends or family, whether you're mom, dad, or one of the kids, you're in a position to influence the family. Well, that's leadership. And whatever environment you're in, like work, whether you're the boss or the manager or one of the employees, you're in a position to influence the company. That's leadership. And all of us have leadership because all of us uh, have influence. All of us are leaders. Sometimes... Even little children have huge influence. My oldest daughter, Megan, is 20. When she was seven, I've shared this with you before, but it just so illustrates the point that I wanted to bring it back. When she was seven years old, she had a friend spend the night on a Friday night. And her friend was distraught uh, because her parents were kind of separated and and looked like they were headed to divorce. Well, my seven-year-old daughter, Megan, said, well, listen, it's not over. We need to pray together. And she began to pray with her friend, and Megan came up with an idea. She said, you got to get your parents to come to my church. So here's what you do. Tomorrow, when you go home, which would be Saturday, misbehave and cry a lot. (laughs) And when your mom asks you why you're doing it, tell her that you're going to continue to misbehave and cry until they agree to sit next to each other at church. That's my daughter's plan. She's crazy, I know. But the plan worked flawlessly. 
And the parents agreed to go to church the next day, and they came to our church and sat uh, together to hear Pastor Kevin deliver a sermon on if your first commitment fails, recommit. Isn't that something? And God moved in their marriage, and they walked out and agreed to uh, move back in that day, which they did, and they've been together ever since, 13 years uh, they've been together. Isn't that cool? That's a seven-year-old, a couple seven-year-old girls with unbelievable leadership. All of us are leaders because all of us have influence, which means you're a leader. So say to the person next to you, you're a leader. Right. Now say back, we're going to need some help. Right. Because all of us are leaders, and all of us need some help. And that's why these four leadership principles from the story of King Desire are so cool. God's going to use them to help us. So let's grab our Bibles and open to 2 Chronicles 26. It's, if you don't have a Bible, there's one at your seat. It's page 452 uh, in, in the Worship Center Bible, 2 Chronicles 26. And we're going to kind of walk through the story and unpack these four principles. So if you can keep your finger on the place or leave your Bible open, that would be helpful uh, to you. And we're just going to read the first two verses of 2 Chronicles 26 as we get started here. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Now this demands a little bit of backstory, because Uzziah became king in a pretty unique way. Uzziah uh, was actually taken by the people and made king. Here's why. His father, king before him, Amaziah, uh, started off following God but eventually drifted into idolatry, and as he did, he led Judah into the darkest days it had ever known. Judah's crushed in battle, the military's depleted, the economy's drained, the territory of Judah's dwindling. It's so bad that the people decide to take him out and make his 16-year-old king uh, the six-year-old son, king in his place. Let's just think about that for a second, have a little bit of fun. How bad would you have to be at being a king for the people to go, uh, let's see what a 16-year-old can do? <laughs> I mean, how many of you have teenagers? Would, what would it take for you to say, let's just see what they can do. Let's put them, them in charge. They can't even drive. We want them to, you know, and, and it was that bad. Now, listen, if you're a teenager, I know that stings a little bit for you. But it really makes us, the rest of us feel good. And so it balances out, if you think about it. Plus, you get the last laugh because they make Uzziah king at 16, and he becomes one of the best kings in all of Judah's history, one of the, one of the best kings in the Bible. He brings Judah back from the edge of collapse and leads it to the most prosperous days it had ever, ever, ever knows. Uh, the same size and strength that it had during the days of King Solomon. Uzziah is an unbelievably great leader. He builds a better life for his people because he used these principles. 
And God wants us to be unbelievably great leaders. And, he, and if we follow these principles, God will use us to build a better life. So I just want to dive into them. They're there in your notes. We're gonna, the first two principles come right out of the verses we've already read. And uh, they kind of layer and build uh, one on the other. So here is the first leadership principle. Leadership principle number one, God moves through leaders. Say it with me. God moves through leaders leaders. And you, this uh, is just a reality that you can see all through the Bible, that God, whenever God wants to move in the world, he does it through a leader. God moves through leaders. You can see this play out all through the Bible. When God wants to move Israel out of Egypt, he does it through a leader, through Moses. When he wants to move them into the promised land, he does it through Joshua. When he wants to form them into a nation, he does it first through the judges like Deborah and Gideon, and then through the kings like David and Solomon and Uzziah, whom we're talking about. When God wanted to speak to his people, he raises up Elijah and the prophets. He does it through leaders. In the New Testament, Jesus comes into the world through Mary, through a leader, with incredible influence. And when God wants to send the good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth, he does it through the apostles and then the church. He does it through leaders. God moves through leaders. And God wanted to move in, in Judah during the days of Uzziah, so God raised up Uzziah so he could move through him. And listen, God wants to move in your life as well. Don't you believe that? Hello, don't you believe that? That God wants to move in your marriage. God wants to move in your family. God wants to move in your, your neighborhood. God wants to move at work. And guess who the leader is that God wants to move through? John Maxwell. Nope, not John Maxwell. God wants to move through you. You're the leader. This is why it's important that you embrace your spiritual identity as a leader. Because the more you embrace your identity, the more God can move in your world because he moves through you. It's how he does it. And that's the first principle, and it leads us to the second leadership principle. Here it is. God moves when a leader moves. Second blank there in your notes. God moves when a leader moves. Say it with me. God moves when a leader moves. So we have an active part to play in the leadership process. Uzziah didn't just become king and then sit back and say, well, God wants to move through me and then God all this stuff while he did nothing. No, we have an active part to play. God has a part and we have a part. God's part is to sovereignly arrange circumstances so that leaders have influence, to kind of set things in motion to have an impact. But then God stops, and the next move is the leader's move. And God moves when the leader moves. I want to uh, share a couple illustrations of how this plays out here at our church with just some things that are happening just to make sure that we all get it. A couple weeks back, 
we uh, collected bikes in partnership with Bering Bike Shop, right? That was a very cool thing that happened. Listen, God is using Bering Bike Shop uh, to impact kids uh, in Atlanta. Very cool thing that's happening. Now, the potential to have an impact on kids through that ministry has been in place for years. But nothing happened until Tim and Becky actually opened the bike shop. See, that was God's part. He created the, the uh, scenario by which that could happen, but they had to actually open the bike shop. That was their part. And when they moved, God moved through them. God moves when a leader moves. Here's another example. This week, we uh, sent a bunch of our students uh, from our student ministry to Haiti. My youngest daughter, Morgan, was one of them. And uh, it's a very cool thing. Uh, students from our church went to another country and impacted lives. Now, the potential to impact lives for these students has been in place all along. That was God's part. But nothing happened until these students got on a plane and went down there. And then God used them because God moves when a leader moves. Last, last one. This year, our church has launched the uh, Coaches Leadership Network where we're uh, pouring leadership into the sports coaches that pour uh, into uh, kids in, uh, in our community. And it's a very cool thing uh, that, that uh, I get to uh, help give leadership to. And listen, the reason we're doing this is we believe that God has sovereignly placed coaches uh, in positions to have a great impact in the lives of kids. But nothing happens until they activate leadership. And so we're pouring leadership in them, believing that when they do their part, God is going to move. Do you guys get it? See, and God did his part for King Uzziah. He sovereignly moved the scenario to give him unbelievable potential for leadership and impact. Made him the king. But you, King Uzziah still had to do his part. He had to move. And when he moved, God move through him. And listen, God's done his part in your life as well. Hasn't he? He's done his part. He's, he's put you in a scenario where you have unbelievable influence in your marriage, in your family, in your community, at your work. God has given you influence in the relationships that you have. God's done his part, and you have to do your part. And God moves when you move. He moves when you move. And listen, God always does his part. But we don't always do our part. Wouldn't you agree with that? We don't always do our part. I think it's, it's one of the ways we get tripped up in all this. Because sometimes we don't do our part and then we wonder why God isn't moving. And you can even begin to think like, like God is somehow holding out on you because he's not moving when really you're holding out on him because you're not moving. Do you get that? I think we can get tripped up. We can get frustrated with God that he's not doing anything when really it's us that's not doing anything. Because here's what this principle means, and this might be worth writing down. This, this, this could be helpful to you. Here's what this principle means. It means that you are not waiting for God. God is waiting for you. Think about that. You're not waiting for God to move in your marriage. God's waiting for you to move in your marriage. You're not waiting for God to move in your family or at work, in your neighborhood, in your relationships. God's waiting for you. And when you move, God will move through you. That's what this principle means. God moves when a leader moves. I was talking to a guy uh, a couple months ago 
struggling in his marriage, asked to meet with me. So we sat down. I asked him what was going on. And he just he described a family that was incredibly busy. Busy with work, busy with kids, busy with life, busy, you know, with all, all that. We get that. And, and he said that there had been some drift in his marriage that had just busy and just drifting and, and uh, it had gone on so long that tension was rising. So I said to him, I said, now, what do you think uh, would happen if you took your wife on a date? And he goes, man, that'd, that'd be a good idea. I said, yeah, it really would, wouldn't it? And I said, great, so when are you going to do it? When are you going to take her on a date? And he goes, man, you don't understand. My kids and my wife and busy and just so much going on. And I just, so, I mean, I just, I don't think that's going to happen right now. That's what he said. I said, okay, let's go through the whole thing again. Tell me what's the problem. Well, I'm really busy and my wife and I are drifting. Tension's starting to rise. Okay, how would dating uh, your wife solve that? He goes, oh, man, that's what we need to do. That would solve it. I said, great, so when are you going to do it? And he just looked down for a couple seconds, and then he just, <laughs> he said, I just wish God would fix my marriage. <laughs> and I said, man, let's go through it again. <laughs> let's go through it again. What's the problem? And he finally got it, and he was right. It did fix his marriage. He was right. That was the thing he needed to do. And listen, God started to move as he started to date his wife and started to repair some things, and they're off on their way. Now, here's my question for you. Was he waiting for God to move, or was God waiting for him to move? Right, God was waiting for him to move. And as soon as he started moving, God moved. Now, listen, it's really easy to see this in others, right? It's really hard to see in yourself. And I think this is one of the ways Satan uh, uh, messes with us. Because listen, if you think you're waiting for God, but God's really waiting for you, I mean, if everyone's waiting for each other, what's happening? Nothing. Nothing's happening. And if you're looking at your marriage going, nothing's happening, why not? Well, maybe it's because you're, you think you're waiting for God, but really God's waiting for you. If nothing's happening at work or nothing's happening in your community, maybe it's because everyone's waiting for each other. And maybe you need to make a move. And when you move, God will begin to move through you. Because God moves through leaders. And God moves when a leader moves. And that takes us to principle number three. Here's the third principle there in your notes. The first move is an inside move. The first move is an inside move. Say it with me. The first move is an inside move. Here's what I mean. Like all of us, King Uzziah had kind of a private dimension to his life and his relationship with God. And Uzziah also had a public dimension to his life in his interaction with the world. And there were moves to be made on, in both dimensions. In, in his private relationship with God, like all of us, there is this bowing to God in need of him and this rising up in obedience that's part of every relationship with God. That's the, the private inner Dimension. On the outer dimension, there were enemies to fight, there were strategies to build, and there were opportunities to seize. And what this principle tells us is it matters which side is first. It matters where you start. 
Because many of us, when we start to get the sense of maybe God is waiting for me and I need to do something, we bypass the inner and we just start doing things. And, and this principle says that that would be a mistake. First move is an inside move. Starts with God. Uh, much of King Uzziah's success, according to the Bible, comes from the, the reality that he made the right first move. You can see it in verse 3. 2 Chronicles 26, page 452, if you lost your page. You can see this play out. Listen, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. If you're going to have a daughter and you're looking for a name, Jechaliah might... Uh, not, not a common name, but... And she was from Jerusalem. He did was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. Now here's verse five. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. He had a mentor who instructed him in the fear of God. And as, look, at, look at this sentence. As long as he sought the Lord in private... God gave him success in public. As long as he was making the right inner move, God was helping him on the other side. That's a powerful thought. That's the key to his success. See, Uzziah had a mentor who taught him to fear God, which means put God first. That's what it actually means. And I think... Uh, Zechariah, the mentor, came you know, up to him and said, listen, Uzziah, uh, as a young king, you're in a lot of trouble. These are dark days, and let's just be honest. Left to yourself, this isn't going to happen. You're way over your head. You need God's help. But God longs to help you. And if you will confess your need for him, and rise in obedience, if you will fight for him in private and make the right move on the inside, then God will help you fight your enemies and God will help you build the strategies and God will help you seize the opportunities. He'll give you success. If you will fight for God on the, in private, God will fight for you in public. I think uh, Zechariah said that or something like that to King Uzziah and it took you can see it play out uh, through the rest of the story. Look at verse 6. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jebna, and Ashdod, and then rebuilt the towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Look at verse 7. God helped him against the Philistines. How did he win these battles? Well, God was helping him. He was fighting for God in private. God was fighting for him in public. Look at verse uh, 9. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. This was kind of his strategy to, to build defenses around Judah, and it was incredibly successful because God was helping him. Look at verse 11. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by division, so he reestablished the army the army, because God was helping him. And it, and it tells you all of this at the end of verse 15, at the end of that paragraph. His fame, Uzziah's fame, spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped. He was greatly helped by God until he became powerful. See, 
This is the key to his success. He was fighting for God in private and God was fighting for him in public. He understood the value of making the first move, the, 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 uh, the, first move, the inside move. This was how he did it, and when he walked away from it, it undid his leadership. Look at verse 16. After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. See, in verse 16, Uzziah is not a young man anymore. He's much older, and, and God's given him a lot of success. And perhaps the older you get and the more success God gives you, the easier it is to forget how much you need God. And when you stop bowing in need, then you will rise up in disobedience and resist God. And when you resist God in private, God resists you in public. And I think that's what happened to, to Uzziah at the second half of his life. He went into the temple and burned incense, which only the priests were supposed to do. It was a huge sin in his day, so much so that God gave him leprosy. And he lived with leprosy, isolated from everyone else until his death. His son actually reigned in his place from verse 16 on uh, until his death when his son became the king. And that's the end of the story of one of the best kings in the Bible. Isn't that a crazy ending? I, I, listen, here's why I love the story of Uzziah. I so want my life to be characterized by the first half of his life. I want to be the, you know, helped by God. And I so desire that and it inspires me. But I know how capable I am of living the second half of his life and forgetting how much I need God and then rising up in disobedience. I know that that's in me. So I love this story because it serves as an inspiration and a caution to me. Because it's easy, listen, it's easy to forget how much you need God in the different arenas of your life. And when you do, your life begins to unravel. I've actually been praying that God would use this sermon for each of you, for, for each of us, as just a reminder of how much we need God. Because listen, without God, we're in over our heads. We're just like you, Zion. We're in over our heads, and it ain't gonna work out. How many of you can admit that? You need God this morning. You just need him. You just need him. Oh, man, I do in every arena of my life, and I always have. Marriage. Been married 21 years. I've needed God. We've needed God the whole time. When uh, we first got married, we got married as juniors in college. And we knew we would be poor, but we, this was our statement. We said, we're going to be poor, but it's going to be romantic. <laughs> we were half right. We were poor. We were destitute. And it was not romantic. It was hell. And, and uh, we were, I mean, that much immaturity and that much pressure all piled into one tiny little place. And we were falling apart. It was bad. And uh, we, I mean, we needed help and we knew it. We actually went down to the church we were going to. They had a young married small group. So we said, we're going to go down there and see if that can help us. And listen, this group helped us a lot, just not how we thought it would. Because we went into that group and we started listening to the stories of everyone else. And we realized we were one of the healthiest couples in the room. <laughs> listen, it was awesome. Small group's great. If your marriage is struggling, join a group. It's like, that's the answer. And, and, uh, 
I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say in two weeks we were leaders in the group. And, and, uh, and we knew we needed help. God helped us. About 14 years into marriage, my wife and I thought we probably figured some things out. 14 years in, just, just, we had just had a great season in marriage. And I remember uh, my wife said to me, she said, you know, Miles, I think we're mature now. And because she said it, we believed it. Because she's godly. Like, she would know if we were mature. She would know. I would have no idea, but she would totally know. Like, if, if I said that to my wife, I think we're mature now, we would have both looked and went, mm, that's probably not it. <laughs> but she said it, so we believed it. For a few years, we lived like we were mature. And then, 19 years into marriage, two years ago, our oldest daughter graduated and, and uh, started, you know, going off to school. And the empty nester reality started to uh, center in, in our home, and it just messed us up. It did. Turns out, we weren't mature, just all our immaturities were hiding behind our children. And when they started to leave, there they all were, our old friends. I thought about adopting. Let's get some more kids in here to hide all our junk behind. It's a win for everybody, right? No, that's terrible. That's not true. That's not true. And my wife and I have had to figure it out. Uh, you know what life's going to be now. And, and, and uh, 21 years into marriage, here's, here's what we know. Here's what we're clear about. We are just as, as desperate for God to move. We're just as messed up and hopeless without him as when we first got married. We need God and, and, as, as in a marriage. And, and parenting, think about this. I have a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. Do I, uh, daughters, do I need to tell you that I need God? Uh-uh. Need God on my own? I'm in trouble and work in every arena of my life. And I've been praying for you that God would give you a little bit of a moment of awakening where you go, man, I just, I, I'm on my own, I'm in trouble. I need God. You would have a moment of honesty with yourself and with God that your life only works when God, when, when you are dependent upon him. Because the more you know you need God, the more capable you are of making the first right move. The inside move first, bowing in need and rising in obedience. And when you do that, you fight for God in private, God begins to fight for you in public. Doesn't mean you get everything you want. Doesn't mean you get to do everything you want. It means you get to do everything God uh, wants you to do. He gives you strength to do what he wants you to do. Doesn't mean you never have dark days. Now everyone has dark days. It just means you never walk through the dark days alone. God's helping you. He's a loving father who desires to help you. And, but you do have to live inside the circle of his blessing. Circle of blessing was something my wife and I did with our daughters when they were young. Uh, here's how it went. We just told them, when, you're, when you are obedient, or, or humble, respectful, and teachable, you're inside the circle. And when you're inside the circle of blessing, our relationship's fine and we're gonna bless you. And that's how it's supposed to be. But when you decide to stop being humble and teachable and respectful, then you've moved yourself outside the circle of blessing. And everything we do as parents is gonna be to get you back in. We might even withhold from you. But we are gonna parent you back into the circle of blessing because that's where you're blessed. And maybe God brought you here today to get you back into his circle of blessing. Maybe that's, that's why you're here. Maybe you've been living outside the circle, not bowing in need and rising in obedience, and you're wondering why God isn't moving in your life. 
but really it's you that needs to make a move. Maybe it'd be wise for you to take a moment privately where you say to God, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you in the different arenas of my life. That on my own, this is not enough. I can't make life work without you. And, I, and God, I will obey you. I will rise in obedience like a, like a child, like a son or a daughter to a parent. Maybe you walked in here and you don't even know where you're at with God. You want to get right, you don't even know where to start. Listen, the first move is the inside move. You need to admit your need. You need the forgiveness that Jesus won for you on the cross. And when you receive it, God gives you his Holy Spirit inside of you, and that Holy Spirit fights for you to become the person that he intended you to be. And it is a powerful thing to have the God of the universe fighting for you. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I want us to listen to about a three-and-a-half-minute story of a young lady from our church that all this play out in her life in the area of finances. And, and uh, as you listen to the story, listen into how she fights for God in private and then how God fights for her in public. Enjoy. I was really mad at God. I was like, how could you do this to me? My car broke down on my way to my last final. The head of the motor cracked. It's gonna be really expensive. It has to be given away before it can multiply. That we, we, it's, it's simple right here in the story. It was the tithing series from Robert Morris and I was feeling the Holy Spirit in my heart telling me it was time for me to give more than just going to church. It was time for me to give through my finances. And I was like, <laughs> you're kidding me, right? Like, this is a joke. You make $600 every two weeks. So I was working full time and I was like, what makes you think that you have the money to give $60? Because you're broke. Say, I'm gonna set aside some for the house some for the car, some for groceries, and God hears your part. No, that's not God's part. You gave the first part to the mortgage company, and the mortgage company does not have the power to bless your finances. And I wrestled with it for about a week. I knew in my heart that that's what I was supposed to do, but it was like I had an angel and a devil on my shoulders, and they were like, no, 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 yes, 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 and I didn't, <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm supposed to be doing this. The experience of having to tithe and like him, the Holy Spirit pressing in on me was a new experience. I've never felt that before, so that was a new feeling for me and it was, it was pretty incredible. I didn't start tithing because I wanted him to give me something, but in the back of my mind, it was like, what are you going to give me? Because I'm giving you $60 of my money and I need something in return. It would be exact dollar amounts, like down to the cent that I would give him. And then it would get to the point where I would just round up. And you know, now I just don't even care. It doesn't bother me anymore. And I'm not looking for like, okay, so how are you gonna bless me now? Like, I'm not even worried about it. When we give the first to God, the rest is blessed. But it can't multiply without the blessing of Jesus. I feel like you start to receive things differently. What people were saying or like things on the radio. And like, I knew that he was actually speaking to me. Malachi 310. Um, affected me a lot. It was an important verse for me. Test me in this and I'll pour out the floodgates of heaven and so much blessings that you can't store them. And that's exactly what he did for me. Like, I was receiving so many blessings and him speaking to me so much that I had to start a blessings book. Like, that's just crazy. 
I did a bunch of stuff at the vet's office. So I was receptioning one day and um, I was talking to a, a client of mine and she was like, how's the car situation going? And I was like, it's going okay. I was like, I found a shop to finance the repairs. And she was like, well, I wanna help you. And she was like, I wanna give you $2,000. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? And that was God pressing in on her, letting her know that I need you to help her. Who writes a check for $2,000 to somebody? Nobody. Now I know that there's nothing he can't do. He's amazing. And no matter what, he's gonna, he's gonna carry me through whatever I've got going on. You realize that it's not about giving him the money. You're just returning what was already his because you wouldn't have the things that you have without him. Isn't that a cool story? That's right. That's such a good story. Don't you wish God were fighting for you like that in your life? Oh, man, that would be so awesome, isn't it? But listen, and God longs to. He longs to fight for you like that. But you do have to be inside his circle. You do have to make the right first move. The first move is the inside. But bow in need, rise in obedience. It's unbelievable what God would do, which takes us to the fourth point, fourth leadership principle. Here it is. The key move is the next move. Say it with me. The key move is the next move. Right. See, after King Uzziah had bowed to God and risen in obedience, he wasn't done. There were all kinds of enemies to fight and strategies to build and opportunities to seize, and he had to actually make these moves. Listen, God cares about both sides of this. God cares how you deal with him in private, and God cares how you lead on this side also, because you have to engage both sides of this for God to move through you as a leader. And the key move, after you've done this, the key move is the next move. Many of us are one move away from a breakthrough. We just gotta make the move. So it might be good to ask yourself, or ask God, God, what is the next move that I need to make, and, and uh, let's just walk through it. What's the next enemy that you need to fight? Uzziah had like the Philistines, but we, we don't have that, but we have enemies, temptations, struggles, breakdowns, negative environments and situations that we gotta fight against. Maybe your marriage is a lot like the marriage we described earlier, just busy and distant. Well, that's an enemy. That's an enemy that maybe you need to start making a move. Start dating each other again. That could be the key move for your marriage if you would start doing that. What's the uh, strategy? What's the next strategy that you need to build? All a strategy is is a plan to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's what a strategy is. To get from where you are to where God wants you to be. Make a plan. And maybe you're not where God wants you to be in your career or your finances. Well, what's the plan? If you were to set out a plan and start going after it, what might that be? That could be the key move in the next season of your life. And what's the next opportunity that you might need to seize? All of us have an opportunity next week because next week is Easter, and it's the best time to invite somebody to church and become the evangelist like John Maxwell talked about in, in the, the message uh, last week. Who are you gonna invite? Are you gonna seize the opportunity Make a move, 
That could be a key move in someone else's faith. I, I'll tell you, uh, I've been praying about this, and we have new neighbors that moved into our neighborhood, and, and God's been working with me to, to build a little bit of a relationship with them and invite them, and I'm praying for the opportunity. What about you? This could be the key move for someone else. Because, listen, the key move is always the next move. So that's the four leadership principles we learn from the story of King Uzziah, that God moves through leaders and you're a leader. God wants to move in your world through you, that God moves when a leader moves. You're not waiting for God. God's waiting for you. And the first move is an inside move. So when you fight for God in private, God fights for you in public. And the key move is the next move. And all of this forms an invitation for you to make a move. And so leaders, it's time, it's time to move. Make your move. As we turn this service over to the campus pastors, I have a couple questions to help you reflect on the message. You can see them at the bottom of your notes. When was the last time that you confessed your need to God, that you need him, that you're in over your head without him? What would that look like and what might that do for you? Or what would it mean for you to more fully embrace your spiritual identity as a leader? What could that do for you? And finally, what's the next move that God might want you to make. So here at this campus, let's uh, pray together. Oh, Father, there truly is no one like you, and we bless you, and we love you, and we thank you that you're a father that longs to fight for us. God, I pray over this room and the people uh, that are here, I pray that you would seal into their souls their identity as a leader, that you want to move in their world through them. And if anyone's right now saying, oh, that's not me, then God, Holy Spirit, you say, no, that is you. You're the leader. And Father, there are probably many of us that are sitting wondering why God isn't moving, and really it's because we're not moving. And I pray, uh, I pray for them that you would just give them an aha moment. Oh, wait, that's me. I gotta move. And God, won't you help us all to bow to you in our need? in our marriages, in our families, and at work, in our lives. We need you in our character, finances. We need you. God, apart from you, it's not gonna work out for us. Help us to do that. Give us moments privately where we get honest with you. And then, Father, show us what the next move is. We do love you and we bless you. Uh, be with us uh, as a church today and help us to invite the ones you've asked us to next week. So love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.